uh, the support on that. I want to open up with a story this morning. And so uh, uh, if uh, you don't know, I've got, a, I've got my first grandchild coming, which your next words out of your mouth should have been, you don't look old enough, God bless you, you're right. Um, uh, but when, when neither, yeah, Sheila does not look old enough to be grandma yet. But when you get married at 19 and then your kid gets married at 19, these are the things that happen. And, and so uh, it's all good. And uh, so Liam David Silva should be coming in about four weeks. Um, but it was about 20 uh, some years, 20 years ago or so that uh, Lily uh, was on her way and she was a little eager to get here. And um, lots of trouble with the pregnancy. We thought we lost her at one stage and and uh, Danielle kept going into the hospital and, and uh, she was effacing early and all these things and, and I mean like real early, like four months early and, and five months, like half, halfway through. And so anyways, we're coming up, uh, we're on 24 weeks. Uh, if you don't know, a baby takes 40 weeks to cook, okay? And so, uh, so, so uh, 24 weeks in, and, um, and, and she's feeling labor pains. And uh, so we go down to uh, Grant Hospital, and uh, we're sitting uh, in a, uh, we had been a couple times before, um, and so this isn't like, you know, at 39, 40 weeks where you're going down all the false trips that, that you tend to make maybe sometimes. Uh, we knew this was not good. And uh, so we're sitting there, and we're in a double room, kind of like a, it's really not a full labor and delivery room, but kind of a staging room. And so there's uh, a double room there, and so there's a curtain pulled. And so here's Danielle and I. We're scared to death, and uh, we're just trying to, we're just hoping that our baby stays alive and, you know, and, and grows longer inside than outside. Every day, every day makes a huge difference had different people on the other side of the curtain and then the next thing you know we hear a young lady that could have I, I would have guessed around 18 or so full term ready to have her baby a little rough around the edges no baby doctor assigned to her case it was just time to have the baby so you go to the hospital and have the baby you got just a thin curtain there and you hear questions like the ones that you get asked and you just think no way people would ever say yes to. Um, things like, uh, do you drink? Yes. Do you smoke? Yes. Do you do drugs? Yes. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> we're just, I mean, girls being honest. And the doctor, you could just hear him get frustrated just like this matter of fact, like you've not, you're not doing your part to take care of this baby. And yet, here you are, 40 weeks, ready to have your baby. And Danielle and I both, in our own different ways, are sitting on the other side. Danielle has, like, memorized what to expect when you're expecting at this point and quizzing me on it every day. And I'm like, baby, I don't care. I just have to show up, like... No, I didn't say that. I know better. But picture, I mean, Danielle was, she was doing the stuff. Like, she's ready. I mean, the prenatal vitamins, the cheeseburger. Oh, no, hang on. Those weren't prescribed. But uh, she was addicted to McDonald's cheeseburgers, uh, pregnancy number one. 
But everything else, all of the exercises, all of the doctor visits, and in this case, we had about five times more than everybody else, including the specialist that was trying to get us just further along. And you ask the question, why do bad things happen? The real question is if God is good, why do bad things happen? We're getting warm. The real, real question we're asking is if God is good, why do bad things happen to me? Right? We're sitting on the other side of that curtain. In our mind, the math adds up that the problems should be on the other side of the curtain. Not that we wished it on her by any means. Don't hear me wrong. You get, you get where I'm going. The world wants to know the answer to this question. And so if you've shared your faith, if somebody knows that you're a believer, if you're new in the faith, uh, all those things, the thing you're going to hear in one way or another, in other people you talk to when you're inviting them to church or sharing your faith, I don't know about that. Because if there is a God and he's good, why do we live in the world that we live in? Why are bad things happening? Because if there is a God, I don't want to know him because he can't you see what I'm saying? This is, this is the conversation that's out there, and if you listen for it, you'll hear it. Well, I want to answer, I believe God wants to answer all three parts of that question backwards. So three parts. Why me? Why do bad things happen? And is God really good? Okay, can you, can you stay tuned for this one? Why me? That was the question, that was my question. Why Danielle? Why my child? Uh, when we're sitting in that hospital, so excited for our first uh, child, and uh, we love her, we miss her, she's in California, uh, my son-in-law's a Marine, hoorah, and uh, he's awesome. I was already frustrated and scared, but what really made me feel bad about my situation in that moment? What was really getting to me? that somebody next to me that hadn't done anything right from the little bit I heard was getting ready to have a full-term healthy baby in spite of, and God bless her because thank goodness for the Lord's mercy because this kid needed every advantage it had going into that house. Seeing somebody else succeed that I didn't feel deserved it is what was making me crazy. My eyes weren't even on myself at that point. My eyes weren't on Jesus. My eyes were on somebody else, if I'm just being honest. We've got this problem with why does it seem to be raining across the street? And I don't mean like the rain we got tired of for like three months that rained out half of this guy's baseball games over here. I mean, why does everything seem to be going good over here? It bugs you, if you're going to be honest. Why, why does it seem like I'm working twice as hard to, and it just seems, why does that seem to happen over there? Or why does the bad stuff seem to come over here? And so what we're talking about there, uh, two, two sides of this. One is entitlement, 
which is, we, we don't want to say we act entitled, but we all do in different ways. I'm a good person. How could this happen to me? And then the other side of this is, I don't deserve this because I'm not a bad person. So there's, like, there's, the, flip, there's the flip side to both of those. Here's the thing. The Bible teaches that no one is good. That's like the bad news. And so as much as I felt more entitled to the favor of God or, or something going better on my side of the curtain in that hospital room, I'm not any more entitled to that. And just like the negative things, there's nothing out there that, that I don't deserve. I, I have sin in my life, and the Bible teaches that the, the penalty of sin is death. And so everything that I've done, and I've done plenty that is outside of the will of God, it deserves penalty. It deserves death. And so I'm, in, I'm entitled to the same bad stuff that the other person was. These are hard things. These are hard things for us to accept. And then here's the where we take that even further. And maybe you, we all know somebody like this. And if it's the person next to you, do not elbow them right now. Let the Holy Spirit do his job. Just blink like three times fast if you are close to a person who is always the victim. Lots of blinking. I've worked with people like this. I've been around people like this. And it is always something happening to them. These are real problems. I'm not saying they don't exist. But this person is always at the bottom of the heap when you hear their stories. It's always everything. This is what so-and-so did to me. This is this. And, and I'm getting more than my fair share of bad stuff. Most of us can come to a place of maturity that says the bad stuff, it's going to rain over here, it's going to rain over there, uh, the bad stuff's going to hit everybody, we're all going to have difficult days. But sometimes people get to where they feel like, I'm getting more than my share. Right? The reality is bad things happen to everyone. I want to spend a couple minutes on this right here. The only negative things specifically targeting you are the results of your sin and bad decisions. Let me say that again. The only things specifically targeting you. So like some bad things just happen. As far as some, one person getting cancer and another person not, we don't, this, this is part of the world, and I'll get more into that in a minute. What I'm saying is, when you make a bad decision, there's consequences that follow it, right? And so if something really is after you, it's because it's a consequence of something you did. That's not going to fly and hit anybody else, okay? It might affect other people, and other people's decisions can affect you. And that leads to why do bad things happen? Sometimes bad things are the fruit of what we sow. So, for instance, why do bad things happen? I'm going through, let's just say, a bankruptcy. Was that a random event? Did the bankruptcy fairy just decide to pick you today? 
No, it, I, I don't mean to minimize this. I'm, I'm sure people in this room have gone through this. I'm, I'm not saying this to belittle your situation or to criticize you or to throw stones. We've all had challenges with, with finances. What I'm saying, though, is that that situation is, 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 a, is a sum total of other things that have happened, right? And so uh, if, if I don't stay away from the buffets, which I tend to be sucked into with their tantalizing treats, There's a result down the road, and, and, if, and if I wake up morbidly obese and, and oh, man, my blood pressure's high and my, I've got heart disease and, well, daggone it, God, why don't, you take, why don't you keep a better eye out on me, right? And then let's talk, about, um, let's talk about relationships. If you don't take care of your relationships, your relationships, and really relationships take two people taking care of them, and so uh, that's part of the deal, unfortunately. But as those people take care of those relationships, that means there's, that's going to determine the peace or the drama that's going to come from that relationship. And so I've known people, plenty of people, especially in ministry, but working alongside them, everything else, is all of their relationships are just nuts. I mean nuts. I mean, you could just pick, pick a channel and you got, a, you got five soap operas in, in one house. Why is that? Why is that? And here's the other thing is that I, sometimes it takes a while to unravel stuff like that. My encouragement to people is to, is to I'll use a, a, like a gardening term or like a lawn term. You have to stop overseeding that ground with more drama. And that's really hard, especially as it can be hard to change how two people interact with each other. If you're having a difficult time in your marriage, it could be hard to learn new habits. But as you're working on the new, to stop overseeding with the negative. Because as you overseed, you're just building, you're just making sure one more crop comes up a little bit further down the road. And that can be real frustrating when you try to make some decisions, some positive decisions, either financially or health-wise or with relationships, because you could be moving forward into some good, new, positive directions, and you've still got results coming from bad habits, right? And that can be so frustrating to try to be moving forward and to still, like, have your past reaching out and grabbing you. And so you have to keep pushing through with good behaviors. What if something is your fault? I believe the best thing you can do is try to learn from it. Maybe it's the fruit of what others have sown into your life. Youth ministry for 10 years, most of the basket case kids I dealt with were a result of mama basket case and daddy basket case. Whole family and nutballs. I loved every single one of them. But you have this fruit of what other people have sown, right? And we all, we all have that. That affects us. Is the blame game good or bad? I think, it can, I think it's mostly bad. And, and I just mentioned education where it can be a little bit good. Here, here's where, where I think the good is limited to. Justice. Should somebody be held accountable for damaging you, especially if it's something like illegal or 
or abuse, those type of things. Yes. So to, to point the blame, have that followed through, have somebody held accountable for something wrong that they did, talking about like criminal activity, or even if, if something, if a, if a relationship's just unhealthy and you hold that person accountable and say, this, this is damaging to you, to me, that's good. That's, you're, you're, you're pushing back some accountability. That's good. Uh, which borders on education, maybe somebody else will learn on it, learn from it. The whole point of our criminals, our justice system, is hopefully we try to give people a chance to come out better, right? Beyond that, the blame game can backfire and always will backfire into unnecessary suffering in your life. The other person's still doing stupid stuff. They're, they're long gone, and, and, and hopefully you've, you've protected yourself from them hurting you again, but they've moved on to more stupid. And you're dragging the blame and staying in a mode of suffering over those instances on into your life, and I've seen people locked up into situations like this. Okay, so that's, that all has to do with why do bad things happen a lot of the bad things that happen in our life are the result of stupid stuff we've done or that somebody else has done. But what are we really asking about when we ask that question? What about the things we have no control over? Next week we're going to look at the large-scale stuff like earthquakes, fires, and things like that. But how many times have we heard a news story end with a statement similar to this tragic accident was something no parent should ever have to go through. I'm sure you've heard a variation of that commentary throughout your life. Maybe you've even said something similar to the following. No one should ever have to experience fill in the blank. And if you've been alive at all, you have something in this category that has hit you personally or somebody close to you, which sometimes hurts worse than you going through it, right? Why does this family member have cancer? Why did this person die in a car accident? Why, 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 why? Most of us are mature enough to accept some consequences for our actions. Because really, until you get to that point, you, you don't have a clue. Like, that's, that's a big part of growing up, is knowing that what you do comes with consequences and owning those. But what we really struggle with are things like serious diseases and death that can't be blamed on anyone. Part of being a creature, part of being uh, in the created order, so not like plants, but being like a, a creature, is that every creature can feel pain. Our whole last two series talked about what separates humanity from everything else, and this is another part of it. Our souls are capable of experiencing more pain than anything we can physically. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Only humans have a soul that can out-hurt our flesh. So we blame God or we stay frozen in our pain because there seems to be no answers. I was looking at an article on psychology today. It suggests this, that when adversity strikes, we have two options. Accept what it is or suffer. What does that mean? 
It's talking about the soul part, isn't it? Because if a bad thing happens in your life, and this goes back to that staying in that blame situation or, or just saying, this happened to me, this happened to me, this happened to me one year ago, and then a year later, this happened to me two years ago, and it stays this, it stays this focus in your life. This is proposing that you either need to accept it, and until you do, you are staying in the other category of suffering. Unnecessarily to a certain point, because your body, if, if it was something that was physical, it could have moved on. But even if you're going through a disease or something like that, chemotherapy or something like that, you've got your physical response to something, but then you're keeping your soul at risk at the same time. So, Pastor Adam, do we ignore the pain? No, 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 no. Accepting what is is not pretending it doesn't hurt. I want to talk to you guys about Job today. This is a book in the uh, first part of your Bible. Uh, the, the scholars, the super Bible nerds, uh, they've determined that this is happening sometime early. Like, we're talking about... Uh, uh, it like could be in the book of Genesis if it was like in chrono chronological order, okay? And so uh, we have this man named Job, and, and it says that he is the wealthiest man in, like known in the region. And then something interesting happens. We see a picture and like a, a, a first-hand reporting of a conversation between the devil and God. And the challenge goes something like this. Of course Job loves you. He has everything. His health, his family, and all the known wealth of the world. What does he have to complain about? Of course he loves you. And then we see in the first chapter where he takes everything away from Job except, from, except for his life. Listen to this from uh, Job chapter 1, 20 through 22. He had just lost his children and all of his wealth, which was measured by livestock. Okay? He says this in verse 20. And uh, Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground in worship. So those are all outward visible signs of, I am extremely broken, upset, I'm mourning. But then it says he fell to the ground to worship. And he says in verse 21, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I'll be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Now what happens after that is interesting because Satan pushes back and says, well, I wasn't able to touch Job at all. And God says, you can touch him, you just can't kill him. It then says that sores appeared from the tips of his toes to the top of his head. And then Job 
asks the question. Listen to Job 10, 2 and 3. I will say to God, don't simply condemn me. Tell me the charge you are bringing against me. What do you gain by oppressing me? Why do you reject me, the work of your own hands, while smiling on the schemes of the wicked? Did you catch that? Right there in those two verses, he says, why are bad things happening to me? I'm a good guy. And why are good things happening to the wicked? This is an old question that we're asking today. We move on and we get an update. Let me give you an update on Job. It's a, it's a long book and it just tells this elaborate story of this problem. And I suggest you to read it with something like a study Bible or something like that to get some insight on this because this is a human thing. This is, it's wonderful to see what happens through it. He's got these friends that are kind of coaching him through because back then and even today, you'll find this logic that if something well, we talked about it. If something bad is happening in your life, it's because it's the result of something bad that you did. Fair. That's going to happen. These guys, these friends of his, are convinced that the only reason why Job would suffer like this is because it had to be the result of some sin. And so what we see here is a picture of the reality that we live in, and that is sometimes... Bad things just happen. You didn't ask for it. You didn't invite it in. It's not punishment. God, there's stories of God doling out, you know, training and teaching his kids and that things had consequences. This is showing that that is basically a possibility. And these guys keep pushing. And Job sounds a little self-righteous through most of the book. And he keeps saying over and over again, I... I can't think of anything I've done to make God mad, let alone this mad, right? His wife makes one of the great quotes of the whole Bible. She says, why don't you just curse God and die? Thanks, honey. Glad her team, rock solid. We are living in a fallen world. And so things like uh, this distortion of cells called cancer that is affecting every family, every home, is a result of our world being outside of alignment with the heart of God. And it, and it does go back to those jerks, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden. It does. But if we look carefully, we see how far out of alignment our world is with the Word of God. And so it's important that we hang on to Him because He's the only thing that is truly good. Job was victorious because of his faith. He trusted God despite his suffering and advice he was getting. Listen to Hebrews 9.6. And without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. We cannot please God without faith. It's what he's looking for. The Bible says it is that um, it's impossible. Listen to where Job's mind is at in Job 15, 15. This is one of the coolest verses in the whole story. 
It says, though he slay me, I will hope in him. How can we talk like this? I personally want to talk from a position of that kind of faith. I really do. I, I tend to be pretty strong, but I haven't been hit like Job was hit. Uh, Lily, our, that, that, that birth and, and everything, uh, she still came almost three months early. Uh, we had trouble from one end to the other. That night in the hospital, uh, Danielle was checked in to Grant Hospital at 24 weeks pregnant. And she would stay in that hospital five more weeks with them trying to keep Lily from coming, and Lily would still come out at 29 weeks. And she's our miracle baby. That, that's, the, that's the hardest thing I've been through and, and losing her sister a while ago too. I haven't been hit quite like Job. But I want to get to a place where I can say to heaven and to everybody that I'm talking to, I don't care what happens, my hope is in him. Which brings us to the third part, and that is, is God really good? Job declares again in verse 25, he says, uh, this is 19, 25, and 26, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. Who is this guy? Oh my goodness. His flesh is rotting off his body, and he says, I know who's going to be standing in the end, and that's who I'm going to be standing with. Job knew that God lived. He knew that he would one day rule the earth and set things right. He looked past his torment and in, in expectation of that day. Here's a key word for us this morning. End game. Yes, that's actually been combined into one word. It's, it's, it's newer. It, it's a terminology used in, in, in uh, business and in in uh, different gaming things and whatever else. It's, you're, playing, you're playing an end game. What does that mean? What's that mean? Anybody familiar with it? If you're playing an in, end game, this also comes at the end of, uh, this describes like the end of a chess game. It really is like the end of a game, but if you're playing that way, you're playing for the end. I know that sounds obvious, but I think we forget that as Christians. We get up and down in this life, and we treat every day, and, and they are individual battles within the overall war. But it's important in this story, in this position that Job takes, is because he knew the end game. That puts you in a different perspective going through the roller coaster we call life. And yes, you can make a lot of good decisions and avoid some bad decisions and maybe smooth out some of those curves. But friends, depending on the right diagnosis in a doctor's office, I don't care what you prepared for in your life, you just, you just went off the highest hill of any roller coaster in the world, right? So what do you have at that moment? 
What we gain after this physical life is greater than anything we can lose while we are here. Focusing on what we've lost keeps us from trusting God, uh, keeps us from believing that he's good. And that goes into that staying in that mode of suffering. If you stay focused on what you've lost or you are losing, you're basically sidelining yourself from victory. I'm not, I'm not saying this to diminish or, or anything you're going through. I'm really not. What I'm talking about is how God wants you to walk through things and, and what he provided for you. We celebrated communion today. There is an end game. That's what communion is about. There is a resurrection for our bodies later that no matter how death comes to me, whether it's at a nice ripe old age or whether something terrible happens early, I don't want it to. But my end game doesn't change. In God's plan, the end is more glorious than the beginning, and so doubting the goodness of God holds us back as believers. We are not able to comprehend the glory he has prepared for those who love him. There will be a day when Satan and evil will be destroyed forever. And it's frustrating to deal with it now. But God is looking for men and women that will keep their eyes and hearts on him instead of the storms around him. And here's, here's the other side of this. If you want to become a person of faith, the only time faith is forged is in the hard times. It, it just is. You don't get stronger outside of the gym. You get stronger in the gym. You don't become a better athlete in, unless you play the game. You don't, you don't become a better fighter unless you fight. You don't become a better Christian unless you carry the cross of Jesus. Bad times are when our faith is, is forged. There's a verse here, and this is... I'm going to give you a little warning with this verse. When you visit somebody in the hospital, these should not be the first words out of your mouth. Doesn't make them any less true. Here it is. Romans 8.28, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose for them. If I visit somebody that is struggling with stage 4 cancer or something in the hospital, I'm not just going to lean down and say, Brother, For the good. No, 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 no. Punch my own self in the face. It's not why we have this verse. It's not why we have this promise. Because there's real pain attached to these things that come our way. There's real hurt. There's real consequences. There's real human loss sometimes. And so it's nothing that we should celebrate or be just phony in with other people when they're going through it. Absolutely not. But what this is, this means we have a promise. This means that we have something to stand on underneath all of the garbage that just lets you know there's an end game. That's what that verse means. God is still God. Your life is still in His hands regardless of what it's experiencing at this point on this side of things. 
If you make it through, you're going to have more faith than you had before you went through it. If you don't make it through physically, you're with Jesus. Thanks for the pick-me-up, Pastor Adam. Is it okay to talk about real stuff, real life in church? I hope so, because I need this for me. I need to know what that there's something underneath everything as I bounce around this pinball game called life and, and I take hits from different things and, and I watch people go through things that, that I can't stand to watch them go through. How can we respond today? Let's go through this, just three things. Number one, we talked about the fruit of bad decisions. I'm going to congratulate you today. You made a good decision. You came to church. I don't say that lightly. I believe if you come to church regularly, it will be a significant part of your life trending a different direction if it's going negative right now. I really do believe that. There's going to be something happens here where you're, you're bumping shoulders with other people that also had a crappy week. Okay? Other people that are maybe don't like the, the spouse sitting next to them today or something like that. Don't nod. There should be life that, that is transmitted to you through the Holy Spirit during our worship time and through the word that, that is preached regardless of who's preaching it. And if you come in looking for that, you should leave healthier than you came in. Okay? Don't miss church. But so you made a good decision today. Tell your neighbor you made a good decision today. Your shirt, not so much. No, I'm just kidding. In math class, we learn that lines and, and, and curves are a collection of points. If you're not happy with the direction your life's going, make some good decisions in a row. You're going to change the direction you're pointing. Make another good decision today, make another one tomorrow, and so on. Okay, number two. Do what you can to alleviate suffering. This comes in a few things. If you're cut, you put a Band-Aid on it, right? If you break a leg, you go to ortho-neuro or whatever. You get fixed up. If something's going on uh, in your relationship, you go get the care that you need. If something is haunting you from your past, there's some damage in your soul uh, that, that you need to talk through, you get the specialist that you need, just like if you... If your heart needed a heart surgeon, you wouldn't go just to, you know, you wouldn't go to the foot surgeon. You'd find the right help that you need to alleviate the suffering and to bring healing. The other part of that is that you know, and you might need help to know, when to move on. And here's what's really cool. That's all psychology today has to offer you right today. We've got a big God that loves us. He offers us, us He offers us a little bit more than that. The Bible says that He is our healer. It says that He loves you. And so these wounds that we have, whether they're in our hearts, whether they're in our minds, whether they're on our body physically, We take them to him.
Because I believe part of asking him to heal you, you have to believe that he's good in the first place. Because that's the other ugly side of this in, a, in, in, in the church. We, we already struggle with the why do bad things happen if God is good. But if God really is the good father that he says he is in his word, it says that he actually wants to do good things for us. And so that's a big part of faith is believing that he's good because if you believe he's good, then you're going to take your needs to him. If you don't believe he cares, then you're not going to bother him with them, right? So do what you can to alleviate the suffering. Number three, we started with a question. We are going to end with a question. Are you going to trust God? God is looking for Job's. He's looking for men and women who will trust him regardless of their circumstances. So why do bad things happen to me? Because they happen to everybody. And so do good things. Is God good? Can I trust him? Well, guess what? At the very end of the book of Job, even though Job doesn't sin and curse God, he kind of does a lot of whining. And it's kind of a whole lot of, I, God, why? God, why? God, why? God, why? God, why? And I think it's okay to, to ask that. God answers him. Job 38, I'm just going to read 12 verses. If you want to read the whole chapter, it's basically like 40 verses of the same, and it'll blow your mind and put you in your place. You ready? Who else is ready? Okay, come on. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth tell me if you know so much who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line what supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy, who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb and as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness? For I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no farther will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? I think we better trust him. He holds the world in his hand, and yet we, we wonder if we can trust him with our little part of it. Can we pray this morning? 
Father God, I thank you. God, I thank you that you're good. God, I thank you that you're not afraid of our questions. God, I thank you that your word doesn't call for a blind faith. It actually calls for a thoughtful faith. But we can follow the path you give us in your word. And it goes something like this. You are the creator. The very way our lungs work and the very way a cut heals, the very way my eyes blink without me thinking about it, the, the way that I see, feel, and touch the world around me. And then I pull back, God, and I look at the mountains, the ocean, the hills, the creatures. And, every, and then every once in a while, when I'm fortunate enough to get away from, from some city lights and the sun sets, and just like millions of other people before me, I look up into that dark sky that isn't dark anymore and I see stars that I can't count. And I see them in the exact place that they're supposed to be every night that have provided men directions ever since we came to be. And they're going to be there tomorrow and the years to come. And God, if I'm sitting on that beach 5.30 or so in the morning and the sky starts to turn pink, And dark red. And here comes that sun again. Your word calls us to see you for who you are, to realize how much you love us, and then to choose to trust you with our hearts. You gave us that choice. God, I know some of the stories in this room, but I don't know all of them. Some of my friends are hurting in this room today, physically, emotionally, spiritually. They need to see their end game today. I pray for your healing. I pray for your hope. I pray for your wholeness and your peace to move into hearts today. God, where, where people are harvesting the results of bad decisions, God, I pray that you would help them, come alongside them to make good decisions and to yield that fruit. But God, I'm talking about the things that we didn't ask for, the things we didn't plan for, the diseases, the death, the unknown, the tragedies. I pray that we would trust you. If you've never trusted Jesus with your heart and today is your day, you want to place your trust in him for your life, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you. 
He wants to walk with you and heal you from the things you've done wrong, the sin in your life, and He wants to lead you into life going forward. Can we stand and worship Him this morning?